And welcome to podcast number 15. Yay! <laughs> Racking them up. And the last couple shows, I covered uh, a lot of uh, Max Steiner and Alfred Newman. I'm going to have to touch on them again because they did some really important stuff. I'm going from the 30s to the 40s in film composers because uh, some of them kind of overlap the decade. I can't just stop at 1940. Some of the music... It's influ- they're, they're influenced by one another, of course, especially by Max Steiner, who is the father of film music, because he is the first person to put film music in a film, King Kong, uh, where it really played an essential role. And, and the producers stopped being freaked out by, oh, my God, what do people think if they hear music and the dialogue? Is, they're just talking. He, uh, he changed all that. And Alfred Newman uh, wrote a bunch of stuff, actually, all the way through the, f- <laughs> through the 50s. But uh, we'll stop. We'll stop probably around the late nineteen, late nineteen forties. And the next show, I always plan this, but then I never do it. But I'm going to say next show is going to be about um, the tremendous change uh, using jazz as one of the elements in, uh, in the film scores, namely Alex North for a streetcar named Desire. None, no, nobody had heard anything like that in a movie before, and some Leonard Bernstein. And um, David Raxson, who was one of my favorites, he did, uh, wrote a theme for Laura. So let's get started uh, with, um, to me, the guy who represents adventure movies, which were big in the 30s because the Depression was on and people wanted to escape. Eric Wolfgang Korn- Korngold, K-O-R-N-G-O-L-D, Captain Blood, the theme you heard in the beginning is by him. And I think you'll probably recognize that. I know you'll recognize some of the stuff if you watch old movies. Uh, his uh, music for uh, Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. In fact, he did three Errol Flynn movies I can think of, Captain Blood, The Seahawk, and uh, Robin Hood. So here's kind of a suite of uh, a few movies of his, and I'll give you the names of the movies afterwards. This would be about uh, probably two and a half minutes of, of film music.
some music not representative of everything you wrote, but a good selection from Eric Wolfgang Korngold, uh, kind of the master of adventure music in the uh, 1930s to get people out of the dumps being in the Depression. So the selections were uh, more from Captain Blood, not exactly what you heard at the opening of the show. And then a really cool, I think I like it, a little romantic theme uh, from uh, Elizabeth and Essex, but Elizabeth I and uh, I guess Lord Essex romance. That was followed by what you recognize as the music from uh, some of the music from Robin Hood. And I ended with um, a music from a movie that you probably haven't seen. Maybe you did. Really great little movie. Catch it if you can. Try Prime. It's called The Prince and the Pauper. And it's about identical twins. One is the king and one is the pauper. And they switch places. It's really cool. And that was uh, music from Corn Gold again. Here's some background about this guy who's an incredible prodigy. I mean, he was like astounding people. This is from the classical.net site. He's born in 1897 and died in 1957, which happens to be the same year Sibelius died. You know, Sibelius, Finlandia. Da, 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 da. And so forth. He was the second son of an eminent Viennese music critic and uh, who was a champion of uh, Gustav Mahler and Richard Strauss among others, uh, whom you recognize as the two influences, early influences on Max Steiner from the last program. Uh, the boy's earliest music showed a mastery of form and harmony so impressive that it impressed Richard Strauss and John Sibelius. It was remarked that when Richard Strauss looked over his shoulder, he saw a little Eric gaining on him. He wrote a lot of classical music, including some operas. His classical music is considered quite good. During the 1920s, he taught as a professor of opera and composition at the Vienna State Academy and also worked on theater productions with Max Reinhardt. This shows, you know, his background is very, very strong musical background, kind of like um, Max Steiner's. In 1934, everything changed. Reinhardt invited him to Hollywood to work on the music for his film, A Midsummer Night's Dream, which I know you've all seen. With the political situation in Europe deteriorating into fascism, Korngold stayed in Hollywood, getting his family, including his father, out of Austria. In Hollywood, Korngold, although not the inventor of the style, brought the late romantic symphonic form scoring to its height and such classics as Captain Blood, The Adventures of Robin Hood, The Prince and the Proper, The Seahawk, The Private Lives of Elizabeth and Essex, King's Row, The Sea Wolf of Human Bondage and Deception. Um... Many composers of the time lacked his classical chops and had come up as a theater organist and conductors. They all learned from him. Korngold treated movies as he treated opera reasonably enough. Many consider him the finest film scorer of all time. Count me in that. <laughs> He's had enormous influence on successive generations. And in the article here it says, Next time you watch Star Wars or Superman, listen for John Williams' many tips of the hat to Korngold. When I'm in a nostalgia kick and I want to see an old movie, uh, you know, something, it's not, not fluff, but something really good, but kind of active, and I'll watch, uh, maybe I'll watch, what do I watch? The Seahawk, probably, or Captain Blood. And uh, the music just really helps make the movies uh, super stuff. Okay, on to another composer, a big composer, um, Franz Waxman, who wrote stuff starting just about the same time Steiner did. Uh, Steiner wrote King Kong in 1933, and a couple years later, 
after as a sequel to Frankenstein, Franz Waxman wrote the score to The Bride of Frankenstein. Great score. In fact, it's so great, I made a little compilation of it. It's about eight minutes, eight minutes long. Uh, I'm going to play some music before I give you some background. I'm going to play some uh, selections and have you guess, yay, guessing, the movies they were written for. A note here that, um, as you learned in the last podcast about with uh, Max Steiner, uh, Max Steiner was the first person to write a score, a bona fide score for a movie that served to enhance the movie. It wasn't just like music in the movie or somebody playing piano in the background. It was a score directly for the movie. The movie was, of course, King Kong. And just two years later, uh, we have this masterpiece, uh, The Bride of Frankenstein, which I think of all the stuff I'm playing on this uh, podcast, this is my favorite. I love this stuff. As a side note, I didn't become familiar with this music from The Bride of Frankenstein, which I'm sure I saw as a kid, but didn't pay any attention to who wrote it. I became familiar with it from uh, the Flash Gordon serial that played every afternoon on television, a half hour of it. And much of the music was lifted directly from The Bride of Frankenstein. So let's listen.
Thank you.
I mentioned the uh, Flash Gordon series. Uh, that one theme, the da 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 da, was of course Flash Gordon's theme. And that funky little uh, thing in the middle there, that da 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 da, that was used in a serial for uh, this, these creatures on Mars called the Clay People. And uh, when I heard uh, the Bride of Frankenstein as a score, I said, "Oh yeah, that's where that came from." Of course. <laughs> The Clay People theme came from Bride of Frankenstein. Another tidbit is the uh, the love theme. I guess it's the love theme or the theme for the bride. It uses the exact three notes of something you're familiar with. Interesting, huh? I love stuff like that. Uh, connections between music, where it came from. Who knows if uh, you know Richard Rogers <laughs> got his idea from the Bride of, Franken Bride of Frankenstein for that. Who knows? He might have, you know? People listen to it. Th I mean, th these guys are like, you think of them as, when you listen to music, when I listen to music, I hear a composition and I think, well, that's that. And I hear another one, that's that. And there another one, that's... Their influence is like just inner... Inter interplaying, interchanging, and people writing music and writing music a little later, all these guys knew each other. I mean, like uh, uh, Max Steiner and and, uh, and Franz Waxman and, and, and the Korngold. These guys all knew each other, and they were influenced by one another. And uh, we kind of forget that sometimes, and they just see them as isolated scores, like, wow, what a great idea he came up with. Well, he might have gotten the idea from someplace else. Anyway. Let's hear a little background on Franz Waxman. Uh, Franz Waxman, or Waxman, was born in 1906 and died in 1967 at the age of 61. He was born in, I think this is right, Konigsschutte, Germany. And like all good fathers, he tried to talk his son into studying banking, which he did for a while, but was able to after to train as a musician, taking lessons in composition and piano in Berlin and Dresden. Uh, he was active as a nightclub pianist and as an arranger for a Berlin jazz band, and he was commissioned to, arra to arrange the score, not to write it, to arrange it, for the film The Blue Angel. In 1934, he made a smart move to Hollywood, thereby avoiding the Nazi takeover. And he worked there for uh, MGM for a while and then for Warner Brothers. He wrote uh, the score for 144 films and he won Oscars for Hitchcock's Rebecca, Suspicion, and Rear Window, and Fritz Lang's, this is one I don't know, Lilium and Fury, and James Whale's The Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, by the way, um, this is an interjection here that there's a movie called uh, Gods and Monsters about James Whale as an old man and it refers to the Bride of Frankenstein in the movie. Not a very good movie, but it's there. And he also wrote the music for Victor Fleming's Captain's Courageous. In addition, he wrote a whole bunch of, uh, of classical music and, um, let's see, Carmen Fantasy and Fantasy for Tristan and Isolde by Wagner and uh, both originally for violin and orchestra. 
Okay, let's play the game. I'm going to play a series of short selections and see if you can guess which ones are which. And one, you surprisingly, in the from, okay, a hint. It's from the 50s and was very popular. <laughs> How's that? Oh, and they made a TV show out of it.
there were four selections there. I'm thinking you probably got the second one, but the order was number one was Rebecca from 1940. The second one from 1957, Peyton Place. Yeah, he wrote the music for Peyton Place, and also they used the theme in the uh, TV show. The third selection was uh, A Place in the Sun with uh, Elizabeth Taylor, and I think Montgomery Clift. The score isn't that famous, it's really good, but I threw it in because it was a big movie, even though the score was not, uh, you know, that prominent. And the last one was, what was the last one? Oh, yeah. Cary Grant and Joan Fontaine's Suspicion from 1940, well, 41. Um, I love that. The, the opening that f opening of that somehow reminds me of the Rocky Mountains, I don't know, <laughs> in the 40s. A dirt road is going up the mountain, you know, beautiful view. And I hope you're a little more familiar with Franz Waxman. I mean, 144 movies, he's, he's done a lot of stuff. I hope you look at the, at the end credits and see who wrote the music for films. I've been doing it all my life. And I should be looking at the writers, but I, you know, I focus on the music. But uh, you'll see his name pop up all over the place in old movies. Okay, the final composer in this show, which is going to border on, my God, what, 34, probably 50 minutes, is a, a giant, Miklos Rosa, that's R-O-S-Z-A. And as I did with Franz Waxman, I'll play a little music and then we'll get into some biography. I'm trying to make the biography shorter. And I'm going to some sites that have short bios rather than Wikipedia, which is like a mile long. And that will let us hear more music. I said I'd keep these uh, bios short, so uh, here's a short one about Nicholas Rosa from uh, a site called Film Reference. His full name was Nicholas Rosa. He was born in 1907 in Budapest, Hungary. He died in 1995, a good long life, huh? Of a, a stroke in Los Angeles, California. He was one of the most celebrated film composers of the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And again, he was a musical child prodigy, which it seems like you have to be to write for a film. He took up the violin at the age of five. When I was five, I could barely throw a baseball. His father sent him to the University of Budapest to study chemistry, another father knows best situation. But he smartly, wisely enrolled in the music conservatory at the same time. He later studied composition and violin in Leipzig, Germany. In the late 30s, he met the Hungarian producer, Alexander Korda. Now, I remember Alexander Korda as one of the big names in British, uh, British film. So, I mean, Alexander Korda's name was on a lot of stuff then. And uh, Korda commissioned him to write a score for the 1937 film, Night Without Armor, starring Marlene Dietrich, Marlene Dietrich and Robert Donut. Really good movie. He won the Academy Award for the best score for the films Spellbound in 1945, A Double Life in 47, and Ben-Hur in 57. I thought that was written in 59, but anyway. He scored many films, including The Thief of Baghdad, 1940, the first film to have its own soundtrack album. Interesting. The Asphalt Jungle, Asphalt Jungle in 1950, Quo Vadis, which is really a crappy movie, in 1951, Ivanhoe in 1952, El Cid in 52, Time After Time in 1979, and Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid, Steve Martin, right? 1982. He also composed a lot of classical stuff, chamber music, uh, which was performed in Carnegie Hall by the New York Philharmonic. One is the, was the author of an autobiography, A Double Life, 1982. 
And here's uh, something by Nicholas Rosa. Nicholas Rosa has a style I can easily identify, but some of he has such a variety of styles uh, like this. This is from The Naked City, it's called Pursuit. And when I talk about the style I can identify, I'm thinking of Spellbound, which we'll hear uh, a selection from later. But uh, here's another very dynamic piece from uh, the movie Brute Force. That's from 1947, Brute Force. As I'm doing these podcasts on film music, I, I noticed something, uh, kind of a trend. In the late 40s, there's more of a tendency to be kind of abstract and dynamic. And this is really evident in the score for um, A Streetcar Named Desire by Alex North, which we'll catch in the next show. It's sort of trending away from the easy listening, sometimes the sweetness of the early middle 40s. I'm going to play a little more, uh, another part of Brute Force, and uh, it's really hard-hitting, and that stems a lot from the fact that it is, it is a prison movie, but it's not like anything that I think had been written before. Through Miklos Rose's talent, this, this score sounds almost classical. Thank you. 
Pretty strong stuff, huh? Now, can you believe he also wrote this? You probably can't identify the music, but I know you've seen the movie. It's uh, from The Thief of Baghdad from 1940, starring uh, Sabu. Great movie. Now, here's something that, to me, is more <laughs> of his style that I'm used to, I guess, because I've seen a lot of movies, his movies during this period. See if you recognize it. It's a little suite that was on uh, Amazon uh, Digital Music. I, I played the whole thing because it's a small C and it's short. You know, hey. <laughs> uh, the part of the beginning there was the, uh, you heard this thing, you know. It's the theremin, which uh, to me is appropriate because uh, it's, it's psychiatry in the late 40s and the early 50s was a big thing. And there's the old saying about, you know, You'd have to be crazy not to see a psychiatrist. I mean, everybody was doing it. I think every psychiatrist's office should have a theremin. What do you think?
listened to a lot of uh, science shows on PBS and about space, and they had one on NASA, and they, they mentioned the fact that when children on Mars watch The Wizard of Oz and listen to Over the Rainbow, that's the soundtrack they actually use. See what you learn in this podcast? Meanwhile, back at Hollywood and real music, before our psychiatric interlude, that was the music from Spellbound with Ingrid Bergman and the really messed up Gregory Peck. You know, he's like seeing, uh, I remember the movie, he sees like ski trails in his, in a pile of salt or something. Really crazy, this guy needs a psychiatrist. Okay, let's go to, uh, go ahead, out of the period that I'm supposed to be covering into the late 50s and early 60s. And this is the, uh, it's guessing time. See which of these you recognize and a hint, uh, they're epics, some biblical and some historical. I listened to a lot of uh, science shows on PBS and about space, and they had one on NASA, and they, they mentioned the fact that when children on Mars watch The Wizard of Oz and listen to Over the Rainbow, that's the soundtrack they actually use. See what you learn in this podcast?
There were three selections from uh, a more modern, late 50s, early 60s modern, themes from um, movies by Nicholas Rosa. The first was, uh, you could probably tell, had you know, that kind of blast of horns in it. God uses a lot of horns. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but that was from uh, King of Kings. The second was from El Cid. And the last section was the long one. It was my favorite part of Ben-Hur. It's uh, called the love theme, and I don't think it's necessarily a romantic love. It's He returns to Judea and uh, lies under a, a palm tree, a date palm, and he looks up at the sky, as I remember it. And I was in Arizona when I saw the movie, and I, I, in the middle of summer, I got that same kind of feeling, that kind of a Middle Eastern romantic desert feeling. Phoenix has uh, the same climate pretty much as um, the Middle East. And earlier I talked about the uh, Nicholas Rosa sound. Those movies sound to me like Nicholas Rosa. So just me, the, the, the movies I've listened to and what I've listened for in his music. Okay, here we are at 44 minutes. We've just got time for a preview of the next show. And what you're going to hear is not anything like what was written in the 30s and 40s. Uh, Alex North, Leonard Bernstein, Andre Previn. So I think you'll really enjoy it. And before the preview, if you have a comment, <laughs> if you have a comment or want to write a letter or, I don't know, uh, maybe, a, maybe a telegram, my email is still gcarter1mwc at gmail.com. And with that said, listen to this.